Today's episode of Socially Democratic is presented to you by Dunn Street. Dunn Street is a progressive campaign agency that specializes in community organizing. We work with nonprofit and community-based organizations, trade unions, businesses, and social democratic parties across the globe to develop campaign strategies, train engagement staff in leadership and power building, and help you execute your campaign with data-driven tactics and actions. And in 2022, Dunn Street will continue to work with folks that want to share their stories, inspire others, and organize communities for change. To find out how you can partner with Dunn Street, hit us up at dunnstreet.com.au. Today's episode is also brought to you by Morris Blackburn Lawyers. Are you an enthusiastic client-focused lawyer? Morris Blackburn Lawyers are hiring a lawyer, associate or senior associate with experience in personal injuries to join their team up in Townsville, Queensland. Uh, They offer a safe, supportive and collaborative environment backed by inclusive leaders and progressive policies. Not only that, you'll get to manage your own file load with great support from the team around you. Are you ready to join them on a journey to extend access to justice for more Australians? I hope you are. And if you are, you should do so by applying at morrisblackburn.com.au forward slash careers. Morris Blackburn, experience you can count on. Hello and welcome to another episode of Socially Democratic, your weekly centre-left politics and organising podcast out every Friday that dives into the progressive campaigns and issues of the day and the people leading them from home and abroad. And we are talking to Michael Kane today, who is the National Secretary of the Transport Workers Union, my old union, and we're going to talk a bit about what's going on in the aviation industry at the moment. If you've travelled on an aircraft, either domestically throughout Australia or internationally in, uh, in the last couple of months, you will have noticed that it's a complete shit show. And so I wanted to get Michael on just to talk a bit about how did we get here and potentially, and potentially what we can do about it. So check out today's episode. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast, which is on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast application. And if you like the show, give us five stars and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Uh, and for all the uh, episode updates, follow Dunn Street on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Okay, let's get to today's episode. Okay, we are taping this one on a Monday morning on the lands of the Wurundjeri people uh, and joining me on the line from, I, I'm assuming Gadigal lands in Sydney, is the National Secretary of the Transport Workers Union, my former union, Michael Kane. Welcome back to Socially Democratic. G'day, Steve. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. Now, I got you on the show because, uh, one, I love talking to you, obviously, <laughs> um, but uh, secondly, I, and some of the listeners will know this because I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, I returned, I went over to Europe for work uh, in June, July. And uh, European air travel at the moment is an absolute disaster. Uh, I lost my bags on my first my first journey to Dublin. Uh, they never made it and I never saw them again. And they arrived after I got home to Australia. I had a lot of connecting flights all throughout Europe, Dublin, through London, Glasgow, Paris, Amsterdam for work. All of those flights were delayed. Uh, a lot of those flights, um, you know, bags weren't, being loaded onto aircraft or weren't getting loaded off of aircraft in time. Uh, flights, when we did land, there wasn't ground crew to meet the aircraft. There weren't gates available. Heathrow's been the worst. It was chaos. Um, one, in fact, one of the examples, we did, uh, we did a lap of Heathrow for an hour and a half waiting for a gate to become available. And when we finally got there, there wasn't any ground crew to meet the aircraft, open the gate bridge and let us off the plane. Absolute mayhem, right? 
And traveling around Europe, I was talking to some of my family in Scotland. I said, oh, Stephen, what's the experience like in Australia? And I made an ill-informed opinion. I said, I think it's fine. Because I hadn't heard anything about this, right? I heard about what was going on in Europe, but I'd heard nothing in Australia. I come home and then I start reading a couple of articles, particularly in The Guardian, about what's going on with Qantas. Uh, and, and in general, what's going on with the airline industry in Australia. Um, and I want to go back in a moment. But first of all, can, for those who haven't got on a plane, either internationally or domestically here in Australia, can you paint a picture of the, the customer experience right now if you're flying uh, uh, either on Qantas or any of the domestic carriers? What's that experience? What are some of the challenges that people are having? Well, the first challenge, of course, is <laughs> if, you, if you're just about to go on a flight. And I recently um, uh, put my parents on uh, flights to Europe. Um, you know, they've been waiting for years um, uh, to, to, to get on and see some of their friends overseas. And it's the anxiety because, of course, we know now um, the problems, particularly at Aussie airports, particularly in the Qantas operation, but we'll come to that, I'm sure. But um, it's the anxiety that you've got. How long do you have to be there beforehand? Now, you know, we've had these stories of, um, of, of people um, being told they have to get to the airport early. They get to the airport early and, and they're there so early that they can't check in because check-in hasn't opened. You know, it's this, see, right at the start of your journey, whether it's a business journey or a, or a journey you've been planning for some time to see family overseas, you've got this level of anxiety that just should not be there. It should be a source of great excitement. Um, uh, when you're heading off on a, on a plane overseas. And then, of course, what we find when we get to the airports, uh, exactly that. We've got queues and queues of people um, uh, waiting uh, to be checked in. And, you know, we can go into the details about why that's the case later, but that's, um, that was a failure of government policy in the time of Scott Morrison. And I, I want to go into that a little bit later, Stephen, if you remind me, because, you know, um, uh, it, it is very much the case in our view that um, that policy, aviation policy, was basically written by Alan Joyce um, during the COVID pandemic. Um, and he's got a lot to answer for that goes beyond the Qantas operation. So we've got um, security companies um, that, that um, employ those people at the security gates who have a paucity of workers um, and we can talk about that later. So you get to the airport, you've got these massive queues, you're, you're having to go through, you've got airline CEOs like Alan Joyce blaming you while you're at it, um, and then you've got the anxiety, you check your bags in, where are you ever going to see them again? Um, you know, and that, that really nice couple of memes flying around the place about people saying, well, get an, get an Apple tag and put them in your bag. Um, and, of course, um, that's wonderful, isn't it? You can track your bag right around the world, and you can't ever get access to it again. So it, it is, it is, it is terrible. Um, it is in free fall, um, and um, we've got some repair work to do. And it's it's structural repair work. It's repair work that um, that requires us to take a look at what current management is doing at airlines. Um, and we're going to speak about Qantas, of course, but it's also about what a government should do to make sure that there are appropriate stabilisers in place for aviation. Because in aviation, you never know when a crisis is going to hit, but you do know one thing for sure, and that is crises will hit, whether it's a volcanic ash, whether it's a terrorist attack, whether it's another pandemic. Um, and at the moment, we're just going through this, this um, cycle of peak and trough, peak and trough. And at the peak, aviation companies and airlines are saying, keep your hands off our profits, and when we go into a trough, they're walking the corridors of Canberra saying we need a public handout, and that can't be right. It's not good for any of us, and it's, you know, really leading us to this place where your travel experience is 
quite frankly, absolutely stuffed at the moment in aviation. Let's go back then. Uh, and actually, just to pick up on that point, anxiety, that's the word. I found that whole journey throughout Europe. You're right. You should be excited about all that kind of stuff. I was yeah. knackered by the end of it. It was yeah. incredibly stressful, the whole trip. The whole yeah. experience was just unbelievable. And I've never felt like that before. I really like international travel. I like traveling around the world. I think if, you, you know, if you're lucky enough to do it, it's a great experience. But yeah, I was, by the end of it, I was just, I was over it. I didn't find it enjoyable at all. Yeah. So well, let's talk about Qantas because, I mean, Qantas for a lot of us is, it's, a, it's an icon of Australian industry. It's, a, it's an icon of, of Australian culture. I know certainly when I'm overseas and I see that sort of that the red tail and the, and the kangaroo on the back of an aircraft, I feel a greater sense of longing towards that as an icon than, say, the Australian flag. Um, and it's been written about so much over the years uh, and it's pride in place as, as a representative of who we are. Where did, but I just feel like that Qantas have got to a point now that they've used up all their capital for um, and goodwill that we've developed for this airline over a number of years is, is getting to the point now where we're going, yeah. well, don't, we give, don't we give a shit about that, mate? Because in the end, mm. we've got a service to deliver and you're not doing it for us. Where, d- where did it all start to go wrong? Because I think it has gone wrong for Qantas and I think they're in a bit of a, you know, they're in a shit state of affairs right now. So take us to the point where you think things started to unravel. Yeah, I, I, uh, that's a really good question, and I think it's important to trace that history. And before before that, though, just bear, just everyone bear in, bear this in mind. This is not about um, this is this is not about unfairly uh, looking at Qantas as if um, as if there's some kind of um, uh, unjustified target. Qantas controls almost seventy percent of the domestic market. It controls a whopping. When you think about how, how many other airlines there are around the world, it controls a whopping 24% of the international market from Australia. I mean, these are numbers which show you that this company, it, it basically has an effective monopoly in Australia. And anyone who tries to come for it, um, like an Ansett, like a Virgin, um, they get, they get marginalised and basically Qantas just calls the shots about the market share that those other companies are pushed into. Um, in fact, Alan Joyce has been quite open about this. He wants competition as long as it's on his terms because it looks good for him to be able to say, oh, yeah, we, we've got other airlines in the country, it's fantastic, but he pushes them into their corner and he marginalises them and he's got an effective monopoly and Qantas has an effective monopoly. And what happens with monopolies, as you know, pure economic theory tells us, is that once you have established an effective monopoly, when I say effective, I don't mean welcome, <laughs> I mean it works for the perpetrators of the monopoly, then uh, you can call the shots, you can put your prices up, you can put your service standards down, and there becomes this kind of um, unyielding um, momentum to continue to squeeze profit out um, of that type of monopoly. So so how did we get to that place? Um, uh, well, um, Joyce has been around the Qantas group for a long period of time now. He came in and basically... Um, uh, got the Jetstar operation up and going because they saw the potential threat that Virgin could be post the ANSET collapse. So he came in, he came in from um, low um, low frills, no frills, um, um, uh, Aer Lingus um, in Ireland and um, came over and brought his brand of uh, no frills to the Jetstar operation and then was really rewarded after having got that operation up um, with the CEO ship of Qantas, and here's, here's a story which really tells you, um, really gives you a flavour about how this all started off. 
just before Alan Joyce came on as CEO, um, the TWU and other unions, but um, with a kind of major major union um, at that time, particularly um, for the amount of workers in the operation, and um, we had just signed off, signed, sealed and delivered on our latest enterprise agreement. Um, it was about the seventh or eighth enterprise agreement that had, that had been struck with uh, with Qantas. We're in the work choices um, period, Stephen, so that was where there was all this content that you couldn't have in agreements, so you, you weren't allowed to have basically anything that gave workers some say in the matter or some power or was a, a bulwark against outsourcing or contracting out. You couldn't have that. You couldn't have that in your agreement. So we did at that time during work choices, as many unions did, we did our deal with whatever content we could and then we did side arrangements. We had a letter um, which we'd sign off for the company. We signed off with Qantas that they wouldn't they wouldn't outsource work, that they wouldn't put an injection of labour hire um, into the operation. And literally um, upon Alan Joyce um, uh, being appointed CEO, which was only a few weeks after this enterprise agreement was finalised, he reneged on that arrangement and he set up an internal labour hire company, completely owned um, Qantas subsidiary, um, and made the announcement that he was no longer going to engage anyone in the mainline Qantas entity anymore, that all new starters would be in this artificial entity and they'd be on terms and conditions which were um, drastically inferior to those that had been built up for years and years. So this was step number one, 2008, soon as he got his feet under the desk, um, starting to slash the terms and conditions and squeeze workers' terms and conditions in Qantas. And, you know, I'll pause there for a minute, but that 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 moment is a moment in time for us to reflect on because the temptation is to think that all of this has occurred now during COVID, as a result of COVID, or that something special or that Alan Joyce has, has turned a corner and gone into mad territory he was never in before. He's always been there. He's been there since 2008. He started to smash workforces and that was the start of the decline. And he clearly brought that brand of management from from Ireland as well. Um, I mean, you know, you, you talk to us about the, the relationship that the unions or even the TW had with Qantas pre uh, Alan Joyce uh, arriving, um, and what size of a workforce was it? I, you know, uh, 2008, I was an organizer for TW, it wasn't doing airlines, but you know, there was catering, there was ramp, there was, there was a lot of people employed by this company and a reasonably good relationship with the, with the airline. Would that be fair to say? Absolutely. I mean, I mean, when you pre pre Joyce, um, if you had a job in aviation, you had a job for life. I mean, they were they were jobs that were aspired to. You, you wanted to be working for Qantas. You know, you used to be the same with Ansett as well. Aviation jobs were, were the ones. If you got there, you, you could build a future for yourself and your family. You'd often have um, uh, members of the same family working side by side, um, either brothers or sisters or generations. There's one generation of the sacked workforce, the illegally sacked workforce, which we'll get to, that had um, uh, grandparent, father, son in the same operation. I mean, literally these were jobs for life. Uh, and jobs for your family, and and um, there was a good relationship. Um, there was always always some um, tough bargaining at Qantas for many many years, but there was always a good relationship, and that that was severed with Joyce. Joyce brought a, 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 a dictatorial and adversarial approach um, from his previous um, work, uh, and he unleashed it immediately um, getting to Qantas. So he comes to Qantas. 
He reneges on this deal. He sets up a series of artificial um, companies within Qantas um, uh, to action a plan to um, lessen terms and conditions and to lessen the industrial power. Now, what happens next, Steve? What happens next is this, that even in the company he set up, as unions do, we organise the workers. Uh, And we organise the workers over the course of the next couple of years to the point where um, come the bargaining round in 2010, 2011, we were ready to take some industrial action again. Uh, And we went through the normal processes and we took some very, very um, uh, mild, I would say, industrial action to try and make the point to the company that hadn't got to where they needed to get to. In fact, it was was only... um, 12 hours of industrial action total over a period of four months. And then lo and behold, one day in 2011, the entire world wakes up to the news, Alan Joyce's face on the world media, saying that he had grounded the entire fleet, the entire fleet, leaving passengers stranded, unaccompanied miners in the planes screaming, crew not knowing what's going on, imagine the mental distress, and I've spoken to many of those that were involved, and pilots in particular and cabin crew on that day, um, who had to deal with the stress of this unannounced um, action um, being taken. Um, For what? Well, we'd taken 12 hours of industrial action over four months. The pilots had worn red ties and made some announcements over the intercom, and he said to the world media, we've got to bring this to an end. We've got to hold these unions to heel. They're holding the country to siege. He's just grounded Qantas and the unions are holding uh, the country to siege. Um, And, of course, the reason he did that was to inflict the economic damage which was required as a test in the Fair Work Act for him to be able to terminate the industrial action of the unions. So he self-inflicted the economic damage on Qantas so that the Fair Work Commission would have to intervene and abandon, uh, force abandon our industrial action. So there you go. There's the next step. Um, And, of course, humans are humans. That is massive um, action that's been taken, massive disproportionate action that's been taken. And I have to admit that that did um, have an ongoing effect on workers' willingness in Qantas to take action for a number of years. So we've got artificial companies being set up, step number one, pushing down pushing down terms and conditions. When workers organise again, a massive disproportionate grounding of the fleet, uh, which has the effect, of course, of freezing the intentions and the willingness of workers to be able to fight for their terms and conditions over a period of time. So there's two steps. There's another two important steps to go, but that just gives you a flavour. Of, of what of what this is about well let's talk about those next two important steps because i what then i want to get to what happened during uh, the pandemic yeah. Uh, yeah tell us about those next two important steps that impacted the relationship so we've got a situation now where the company's um, grounded its fleet um, termination of the industrial action has taken place um workers are frightened um that if they take any further action um this is the response of Qantas. so Qantas used that um, during a period of 2013, 2014, where the market um, in aviation slumped, um, to go to workforces and say, we want you to take a pay freeze um, for your next enter- round of enterprise agreements. Um, don't worry, we'll give you a $5,000 bonus if you take the pay freeze, sign-on bonus to the agreement. 
Of course, that $5,000 bonus is a one-off. It's taxed, so you don't get $5,000 in your pocket. And, of course, it doesn't go to your overtime, to your holiday pay, to all of that. Uh, so it's another way of suppressing terms and conditions. Um, you have to take 0% increase. And, by the way, if you do anything to harm the company during the course of the enterprise agreement, you don't get your $5,000. And harm means taking industrial action. So for the next six or seven years, you have this succession of agreements where Qantas uses this tactic in the shadow of a potential repeat of the shutdown shenanigans. Um, It uses this tactic of saying to workers, we want you to take 0% or 1% or 2%. We'll give you a bonus, but only if you don't take industrial action. So again, another way of suppressing terms and conditions and all the while pushing work out where it could to outside labour hire companies and setting up more of these internal artificial companies. So by the time we get to 2019, 2018, 2019, um, on the analysis we've had done um, uh, by the Centre for Future Work um, and Jim Stanford, uh, we have workers who have had their wages suppressed to the extent that it was starting to affect their superannuation. And the calculations um, that we had done is that if you... um, uh, if you had a, you know, a period of 10 to 15 years work in, in aviation and you had been the subject of these wage freezes, uh, you'd have forty dollars to $50,000 less in your retirement because, of course, it doesn't get flow through to your superannuation. So suppressing work, making it less attractive, casualising it through pushing it to labour hire, casualising it internally through artificial labour hire companies in the shadow of a potential future lockdown, bribing people, saying if you take um, industrial action, you won't get your $5,000 bonus. That is the Joyce legacy in the lead-up to um, uh, the pandemic. And a, a hell of a lot of the damage had already been done and it was just waiting, just waiting for the final opportunity Joyce was to be able to get rid of the strongest core of workers, which were the ground staff in aviation, and that's when um, that's when COVID hit. So before that point um, happened, um, obviously catering had gone out to labour hire, um, even outside of areas that the TW had coverage but were organised by other trade unions. What else had been um, uh, areas had been cut or had been casualised through labour hire? Can you give us a, 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 an overview of that? Just give some context. Yeah, look, um, uh, the catering arm had been, you know, um, partly outsourced. Um, You had this, still this internal set of labour hire companies, which are, you know, effectively um, uh, labour hire arrangements within Qantas, which is just bizarre. Um, And then you had this increasing pushing out of pockets of work across the country, not in the major ports, um, but in some of the minor ports, pushing out of, um, of of workers into outside labour hire ground companies as well. So you've started to see um, uh, the the plan in place, um, and um, and then when we get to 2019, uh, we have a moment just before the pandemic where one of the workforces, the Jetstar ground staff, decide that enough is enough. Uh, and they take um, national industrial action, the first industrial action since the shutdown. Uh, and, of course, we weren't to know, and those workers weren't to know that the pandemic was just about to hit then. It was very brave um, action that was taken. And I think that was the start of the community 
but coming to some kind of awareness um, of this terrible legacy um, that um, this Qantas Joyce-led management team um, has left us. Okay, so the pandemic hits and the, uh, the everything shuts down across the country, obviously, including the airline industry. Um, Joyce, I'm assuming, is looking for a bailout from the government. Do they get it? How much do they get? Talk us through that. What happens to, what, in that period of uh, lockdown across the country? What happens to all that staff? And what does Joyce do with this biggest unionised section of his workforce, which is which is the ground crew? Yeah, well, look, the um, start of the pandemic uh, was really interesting. People um, might not recall, but um, uh, Scott Morrison made the decision ultimately uh, at the urging of the TWU that the time was come to to close the borders um, because we had no vaccine. We didn't know what the extent of the virus was. We knew that it had run rampant in Wuhan. Uh, and um, and uh, right at the start of the virus, um, we had a despicable piece of action taken against one of our workplace health and safety um, delegates. Um, Theo Ceramatides um, was a workplace health and safety delegate. He was in charge of a cleaning gang on the um, on the big birds that flew in from China, and um, very early days in the pandemic, um, he he um, said to his work crew, "Hang on a sec, this this is an inbound plane from China. Uh, we don't know where it's been. We don't know who was on it. Uh, we don't know the extent to which this virus is transmissible at this point. We've been given no PPE. We've been given no training. Um, uh, we should not." clean this plane until those things are in place. Um, and, of course, he was unceremoniously marched off the premises um, and his um, his engagement was suspended um, and the charge against him was that he had it, it involved himself with an organised, unprotected industrial action. Now, this is a... This is a case that's still in the court. Um, Safe Work New South Wales has um, lodged a criminal prosecution against Qantas because of their treatment of Theo, and that's that's to be heard um, in November and December this year, 2022. But that just goes to show you the attitude of Qantas from day one. At, on day one, what Qantas was saying to people uh, was continue working as normal. Uh, the risks of transmission of this disease are minimal. Uh, passengers can't get it on the plane because we've got special heap of filters or whatever whatever the hell they are, um, and um, and this is no more virulent than just your normal um, cold virus or a flu, and it's no more serious. That's exactly what they were telling the workforce. Of course, they were proven uh, to be wrong, but it was that type of message that um, Alan Joyce was providing to to Scott Morrison. You know, um, uh, so he had a dummy spit when Scott Morrison closed the borders. And he literally stood down. People will recall this, I'm sure. On the 19th of March, um, he uh, took the step off standing down 19,000 workers. There was no job keeper at that point. Um, the unions had started to call for, for um, a subsidy uh, for the pandemic uh, weeks and weeks before. Um, 19,000 workers, he stood down with no, no explanation, no warning. Again, this is, you know, disproportionate action. Um, and um, and that's the type of approach that was taken. 
to this pandemic. And then you, you see you see all of the hallmarks of Alan Joyce throughout the period of the pandemic, standing side by side with Scott Morrison. The the this, the wage subsidy comes into place. It's just about to peter out. So when Scott Morrison makes the announcement that he's going to extend JobKeeper, um, Alan Joyce is standing right next to him because he wants it, wants it extended. In the meantime, Alan Joyce has managed to extract um, hundreds of millions of additional dollars in funding to support um, uh, the operation uh, in regions, to support um, uh, particular um, normal uh, uh, flights uh, up and down the coasts of Australia. So there are hundreds of millions. In fact, it's up to $2.1 billion now that we've counted that Qantas has received in uh, government funds throughout the pandemic, and none of it was tied to any obligation, Steve. No obligation. And the problem with that, of course, is that even the unspoken contract that Morrison made with um, the Australian community and companies in JobKeeper uh, was breached because it wasn't written down. That is, JobKeeper is so that you as a company can keep your workers connected with their jobs until the pandemic passed. And rather than do that, he did one round of redundancies of 6,000 people um, in July uh, 2020, and then he illegally sacked almost 2,000 ground staff, um, in, which was announced in August um, and actioned in November 2020. So you've got, you know, 8,000 workers there um, that have been pushed out of the company. And what happened after that, after each of those announcements? Share price went up. And we know that Alan Joyce's remuneration is connected with share price. Um, it, is, it is fundamental, fundamental um, that we understand that this is a CEO that has a grip, vice-like grip on governance at Qantas. He's on the board. He tells the board what to do. He's a tyrant with his management team. And it's all about squeezing and squeezing and squeezing. He thought he could push these workers out the door. And then um, when the pandemic passed, people would just flood back into aviation and he would be able to engage them on lower terms and conditions um, on arrangements where he didn't have to be tied into supporting permanent staff. And, of course, he was wrong and we're paying the consequences. And we sure are. I mean, it's just, it's immoral is the word. That, listening to you talk about it right now, I just it's the word that comes to mind to myself. Is it, it's just absolutely immoral the way that he has behaved and the way the airline has behaved, but in particular himself. Um, then, uh, so we're in this situation right now where there's massive uh, shortages. I'm hearing rumours that uh, that uh, like white collar uh, staff out of the corporate uh, office are going on weekends and volunteering their time to help ramp <laughs> and ground crew to sort bags, uh, reconnect long lost bags for, uh, from passengers and all this. Is, I mean, is this true? It's unbelievable. I mean, it is bizarre. But you know, this is the guy, of course, at Easter that got out in front of the Australian public when there were queues at the security gates saying that um, it was the public's fault because they weren't match fit. They'd forgotten how to travel. They weren't getting their laptops out of their bags in time. Um, as he was saying that, back at HQ in Mascot, um, the elite management team were having a get well day, you know, return to work get well day where they were patting puppies for therapy and making candlesticks and doing yoga and Zumba. Um 
you know, <laughs> talk about a management team that's out of touch. And then, of course, rather than saying, oh, four federal court judges have found our conduct illegal in sacking these workers, we'll give them their jobs back because about 80% of them still don't have jobs. Um, uh, and the ones they do are just itinerant jobs, you know, trying to maximise their income to keep their heads above water. Rather than saying to those 1,700, come back, we need you on the tarmac, um, he's hatched this plan where he's put out expressions of interest to management. He wants 100 managers. God knows what else they were doing. But he wants 100 of them to come for three months onto the tarmac to do the work of baggage handlers. I mean, it's, it is not funny, but it makes you laugh. Like, it makes you laugh just because of the breathtaking nature of it. Um, it's the arrogance um, uh, and the spitefulness of it. So, yeah, it's true. Um, you're a manager. You've got, you've got the, inverted commas, opportunity to come and work um, as a baggage handler, as a ramp worker, as if these are jobs that anyone can do because, oh, you're a manager, so you'll be able to go and do these jobs. You know, pushing back a plane takes a bit of skill and a bit of experience. Making sure that you don't puncture the belly of an aircraft with a baggage belt or, or a set of stairs, which has happened routinely since he's contracted out there's work. Making sure that the, 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 the belly of the aircraft is balanced properly to the pilot's liking with the baggage. These are actually skilled jobs. It is an absolute insult to suggest that just because you're a manager, you can come down and all of a sudden you can take on on these roles, and it's an insult to those 1,700 workers who have been devastated, absolutely devastated, wracked by mental illness, um, having to sell up properties and family homes, suffering marriage breakdowns because of illegal conduct. You know, this is, this is a, an absolute um, corporate tyrant, Stephen. His time is up, in our view. His time is up. I mean, yeah, so let's get to that point there because what I was thinking, um, listening to you there, you had this, I guess, this p- perfect storm, probably terrible use of phrase here, between a group of uh, workers, organised workers, union workers that are, and the union that, that represents them in, a, in this situation uh, where you've also then got the, the customer also pissed off at the company. There is a shared common purpose that's going on here. Uh, we know that Joyce only sort of talks about uh, the bottom line and 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 you know the the dr- increasing the value of the shift for the shareholders. Uh, is there a, is there a campaign in the offing here for the TWU and all the unions to work with the customers to put a bit of pressure on 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 shareholders or on the board to get some changes at the top? <laughs> I like I like that a shared p- pissed offness. Um, <laughs> it is it is. It is a shared pissed offness. That's exactly what it is. And you know, it's um, you how how and the and the thing is this. I'd, I'd like to venture a, a guess because I think I feel the same way about this as a Qantas customer. I'm not abandoning Qantas. We've got workers there. We need to rebuild this. It's not a question of boycotts or anything like that. But I feel the same way. That is, I feel angry about it because we all have that place somewhere in there about saying Qantas is our carrier. We're really fond of that. And we're angry because that's been betrayed. That's what this is about. We're angry because that's been betrayed. And it doesn't matter whether you're a worker who's been absolutely betrayed despite the fact that you were the one that built the spirit of Australia or whether you're a customer because you're betrayed because you supported the spirit of Australia. 
because you've said time and time again how great it's been after you've been on a world trip to get back on the plane and hear that Aussie accent and see the colours and the tail. We've all felt that and now we feel betrayed. And you know why we feel betrayed? You know why it is that we have that shared pissed offness? Because we have been betrayed. We have, in fact. So, um, you know, we talk about a campaign. I think the campaign is well and truly on its way. Um, you would have seen yesterday um, reports of Alan Joyce sending out a video. He won't come on the TV and explain himself, by the way, but sending out a video. Um, Steve, did you see that about um, giving giving uh, customers 50-buck vouchers, saying we're sorry, we're apologising for our conduct? Um, you know, um, that... I mean, as if that's not going to be seen as just a cynical move um, in desperation. And not only should it be seen like that, that that's exactly what it is. This, is. this is a management team that is in freefall. It doesn't know what to do. 50 bucks across um, the flying passenger public of Qantas is a massive amount of money, actually. I mean, good luck trying to redeem it. Take your nine hours on the call centre call center lines. But... Um, 50 bucks, shouldn't that be better spent on um, secure jobs in aviation, making sure that workers are supported? Because it's only when you support workers that you get service standards back where they need to be so that you can start rebuilding this company, which we've all been so proud of. Uh, you mentioned before about the um, the relationship with uh, Morrison and, and the structural problems that we had, and you, you said you wanted me to draw your attention to that. So I just want to re- recall your thoughts about that. How w- structurally within the airline industry, what do we need to do to avoid this situation again? Like you said before, if we have uh, another pandemic, or if there's a terrorist attack, or if the you know fuel prices go through the roof, or if there's a you know a volcano ash, whatever that may be, what needs to be done to address this so we don't keep on going through this boom bust kind of um, industry? But, you know, it's it's not enough that the CEOs and a Prime Minister have um, shared numbers on speed dial. It's not enough because we saw what happened during the pandemic. During the pandemic, what that means is whenever Scott Morrison made an announcement about aviation, he'd always have Alan Joyce by his side. Now, the reason Alan Joyce is by his side because nothing happens Nothing has happened in the last 10 years in aviation without Alan Joyce either initiating it or giving it his imprimatur. That can't be right because we know that Alan Joyce's motives are profit-based. You know, on the day that the three uh, the, the three appeal judges in the federal court reinforced the illegality of that decision, Steve, of sacking those 1,700 workers, on that day as a diversionary tactic, Alan Joyce announced that he was buying $38 billion worth of new planes. And I remember seeing, I think it was a Channel 10 report, uh, where they followed Joyce. They were waiting for the plane to land, and then Joyce got on the plane with the camera crew. You know, it wasn't fitted out yet, so they were working their way through um, a quite a strange-looking internal cabin. And Alan Joyce looks down at his phone and chuckles and looks back to the camera and says, oh, the share price has gone up 3%. I mean, that's what, that's what is motivating um, this guy. And it can't be that aviation policy is set by those motivations. What we need is an independent commission or an independent body, a decision-making body that sits across the top of aviation 
that makes decisions in aviation that are in the community interest, not only in the interest of the profit motives of aviation and airport CEOs. Now, in other countries around the world, they've taken different approaches. Some countries have taken equity stakes in both airlines and infrastructure, airports, and also um, aviation companies. Uh, and why have they done that? They've done that because they need influence this in these crisis times. They need to act as community stabilisers um, so that they can impose what's in the community interest um, at a time when it's most important to do so um, and at a time when aviation CEOs will be crying poor. Well, uh, that's the exact time you need governments to act in the community interests and not at the behest of the profit motives of these CEOs. So a decision-making body um, that can act in that way, that is independent, sure, it can take input from any party uh, that's got an interest in aviation, but ultimately um, we need that kind of stabiliser in place. There may not be the appetite in Australia to take an equity stake. Surely there wasn't with the last government. They didn't do it when Virgin was on the verge of collapsing. Um, they didn't do it in 2014 when Qantas was in all sorts of trouble. So if that's not what we're going to do, and we should leave that option open, in my view, but if that's not what we're going to do, at the very least what we need is a decision-making structure in place that is powerful, that is independent, and that can make sure that um, these peaks and troughs we see are flattened out in the community interest. And I think that would be a massive uh, improvement and step in the right direction. There was an article uh, I read um, in the New York Times, maybe at the start of COVID, uh, it certainly feels like a long time ago, it was talking about the aviation industry in the United States and how in times of uh, difficulty with the industry, governments had bailed out all the major uh, US carriers. And what they did with that money was obviously up to them and it wasn't like like same mistake that we made here in australia it wasn't tied to anything they just got the money and i think a couple of them sort of one of them might have been a united or or, or american bought back their fleet they sort of had sort of a leasing arrangement and they used all the money to buy back their fleet and then when COVID hit the government went back to them and said where's all that money we gave you last time they said oh we you know we, we pissed it up against the wall um the, 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 I guess the the argument made by this the, this columnist was that the, these airlines have so much power because they know that they can't fail because if they do fail people then have to catch buses and trains or cars to, to get around the get around the country and people just not can accept that so therefore they just know that they can do whatever they like in the end the government recognizes that they have to bail out airline industries because people need aircraft a bit like I guess like the farmers as well right we all need to eat we need a food bowl so whenever there's drought well they're going to get bailed out right because it's just that's what happened. How do we take away that? I mean, there's a, it's a great amount of power that they really have, isn't it, in that negotiation? How do we how do we sort of get a balance? Does that equity stake deal with that problem, do you think? I don't think it does um, totally deal with that problem, and that's one of the reasons we say that um, we need some, um, some imposed powerful rationality um, in this area because um, at the end of the day, it, it is the ultimate example um, of privatising the profits and socialising the losses. That's what continues to happen. And uh, all the way through, if we allow that to continue, is in, in both of those cycles, the people who are charged with the responsibility of making sure the service is excellent, not the managers, that is the workers, in both of those cycles, the profit cycle and the loss cycle, they're being squeezed. Because in the profit cycle... The companies say, hey, settle down, hold your horses. We've got to put money away for a rainy day. 
And in the loss cycles, I said, we can't pay you because otherwise the company will go under. And that means that it doesn't matter what the cycle is, workers are always getting squeezed. And that's exactly the approach that Qantas has taken. And we can't afford that. This is critical infrastructure. You are right. They are too powerful. They are too important to fail because aviation is critical infrastructure. And it's critical infrastructure, and that means that we should be treating it as such as a community. It simply doesn't work to have an unfettered private um, uh, decision-making process in aviation. If ever we needed proof of that, we've just had it in COVID. Last question, what's the TW's move next in terms of uh, supporting those workers that have all lost their jobs? I mean, obviously there's... um I wonder how this plays out because I mean, this we, we we're living in a in a in an economy right now where it's high 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 employment. Um, I feel like Joyce is a bit stuffed on this one. I mean, can he get those workers back? You know, is there a position of strength now for the workers to actually negotiate coming back into the? Because you, you you know <laughs> he needs them. He needs them badly, right? Or is he too stubborn to realise that? I don't know. And how does the TW work, work themselves into this uh, situation to represent these workers? Well, first things first, the 1,700-plus that um, that were illegally dumped. Um, don't forget, the federal court was pretty pointed about this. They said that Qantas had used the cover of COVID um, to push a workforce out the door because they had industrial power and were ready to bargain. Um, in, in, in other words were ready to ensure that they had reasonable terms and conditions and good permanent employment. Um, and they said that that was illegal, and it was. Um, and we will continue to fight for them. Of course, um, what we want to do, um, the Qantas predictably has taken these workers to the High Court, um, so we'll have to wait to see what the High Court says about these decisions. But if we get over that hurdle, of course, we'll be fighting for compensation for them, um, significant compensation, so that at least they can have something to assist with um, the trauma that they're going through. For the rest of aviation, it will require a rebuild. And um, we know that Alan Joyce is most distressed by the fact that the companies that he has um, illegally outsourced that work to, um, first of all, uh, don't have the capacity uh, to be able to perform the work, and that's, of course, led to this um, chaos. And secondly, are starting to organise. Uh, we're just on the cusp of... Um, potentially taking on probably what will have taken industrial action in Donata, a, a ground uh, company, uh, and um, we will be significantly shifting terms and conditions in the favour of workers there. Uh, and, of course, Swissport, the company where he pushed most of the work to that has a terrible record of safety and industrial breaches, um, is now um, the subject of intense focus by us because um, we need to make sure that there's no um, uh, there's no place uh, for this type of uh, corporate dictatorship in aviation anymore. And the final ingredient, Steve, is of course, which will be helpful but not determinative, is that um, uh, we have a new Labor government in town federally, and um, we uh, we are putting forward our case about why uh, the laws need to be changed to ensure that workers can uh, more easily uh, band together to get better terms and conditions for themselves and their families, but also, once they've done that, have the protection of the law so that we don't get Joyce's coming in after a deal's been done and can unpick it um, by betraying the workforce and reneging on a deal so that once a deal is done, you can't outsource your workforce to overcome that deal. And some of those protections, of course, will be critical and will we'll provide a bit of wind to the back um, of these workers as they fight to rebuild because as is always the case it takes workers to rebuild 
It takes workers to come together in union to rebuild. And if Joyce thought that he'd got rid of the TWU um, by taking this illegal action, he needs to think again, and he's already getting all the signals that that's not the case. We're there and we're just going to keep fighting. Good stuff. Michael Kane. Once again, thank you for coming on the show and also thank you for um, uh, joining me in my pissed offness of, uh, <laughs> in, the, uh, in the aviation industry and best of luck with the campaign coming up. Cheers, Stephen. Hey there. Thanks for listening to Social Democratic. Did you like the podcast? Hit the follow or subscribe button and be sure to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. And to get all the latest updates on Socially Democratic, follow Dunstreet on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and LinkedIn. And we'll see you next Friday. Socially Democratic was brought to you by Morris Blackburn Lawyers. Morris Blackburn Lawyers have spent more than a century paving the hard path to justice for everyday Australians. They've helped over 500,000 Australians turn their situation around and they know how the system works. Their experience and skills means you'll get the best results possible. Find out more on their website, morrisblackburn.com.au. Morris Blackburn, experience you can count on. Today's episode of Socially Democratic was brought to you by Morris Blackburn Lawyers. Morris Blackburn Lawyers have spent more than a century paving the hard path to justice for everyday Australians and they've helped over 500,000 Australians turn their situation around and they know how the system works. Their experience and skills means that you'll get the best results possible. To find out more, go to their website, morrisblackburn.com.au. Morris Blackburn, experience you can count on.